Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right. Getting over is back once again, still more than a week away from WWE Crown Jewel, but we have an absolute ton to get to on today's show as we break down everything that happened across SmackDown and Raw this week. Vintage Chris Vanini will be along momentarily, but before we get to him, allow me to get to the reminders to kick off the show. First, that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about Defy. So please, folks. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King and Vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, leave some five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time, leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. And here's a perfect example of that because CJ133411 wrote in, it's like a sausage inside a burger. And I can't read the rest because his title got cut off, but I it's probably wrapped in something else is what he's about to say. Basically, he's calling us a turducken of a podcast. Five-star review. He said, if you're looking for a pod that tells their truth, regardless of what promotion is the topic of conversation, then stop here. Instant analysis is on point. Being a wrestling fan is sometimes an adventure we take on alone. It's awesome to have a pod that is seeing what I am in the landscape. I've been listening to the Silver King since in this corner. Vintage is a killer addition. My only criticism, Chris, buy beer, man. I mean, it's a fair criticism. You don't shop for uh, beverages for the Instant Analysis podcast, which you're supposed to do, which we have a three-year tradition of having uh, some craft beer on the show, specifically on those episodes. And here you come in with a Mike's Hard Lemonade here, this type of crap seltzer there, uh, really old Michelob Ultra somewhere. I mean, you got to step the game up for these podcasts, the special editions. It's the fair point. I, I have taken the criticism. I'm keeping this in mind. I can't make any promises about Crown Jewel because it's, yeah, it's a Crown Jewel Saturday. Yeah. We'll be in the middle of work next week. But uh, I, I've heard this loud and clear and we'll definitely keep this uh, in mind going forward. Yeah, we're not going to be folks taping a, a pot at, you know, four or five o'clock on uh, Saturday and then drinking a beer. So Crown Jewel, no. But Survivor Series and going forward, that needs to be the plan. Fair enough. Fair. Okay. So with that, CJ133411, we acknowledge you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement acknowledge. right there. Acknowledge. Let's also remind you to give us a follow on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. It's also the place where you can send in questions for the show, be it for the last word segment or just questions and comments that you hope we read as part of our analysis. Again, on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can also email us, gettingoverpod at gmail.com. I should also mention, we are trying to grow the show uh, socially. Neither Chris nor I really have the time to do that. So we are looking for someone who is social media focused, has a level of experience, wants to contribute to the show. We want to get up on TikTok and we want to get up on YouTube. Um, Not entire episodes on YouTube, you guys. This is a podcast first and foremost, but we'd love to get some clips up there, especially our 
interviews uh, up there. And we'd love to get some clips on TikTok as well. So if anyone is proficient in those areas, you want to become a contributor to Getting Over, you can email us gettingoverpod at gmail.com. And it would be great to have some of that help so this show can continue growing as it has been for 500 plus episodes in three plus years at this point. Let me also remind all of you that here on Getting Over, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official Getting Over head. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, sign up, you will get bonus audio, you will get exclusive news posts, and they will be delivered not just into your inbox, but there's an app for this, by the way, on your phone. So buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. We would greatly appreciate the support. So Chris, with all of that out of the way, let's get into the week in WWE. First, a quick overview before we get into the main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the last word to wrap up the show. I want to give a shout out to San Antonio, Texas for SmackDown on Friday. It was like a premium live event level crowd in terms of their energy, in terms of their attendance. It was sold out nearly 14,000 seats. And they were incredible, especially for the EOS guy, Charlotte Flair main event. Look, Charles Barkley, he might have issues with San Antonio. I haven't been there, so I can't speak to any of that. But as wrestling fans, they knocked it out of the park. As far as Raw, I thought SmackDown was the better show for the second straight week, even without Roman Reigns, which we will talk about momentarily. Rhea Ripley was, again, the through line for Raw, the main character, you might say. And I got to say, they really proved me right. I made that take last week. She is being booked like Raw's version of Roman. No, it's not apples to apples, but they are treating her like she is the most important person on the entire show over Cody Rhodes, over the World Heavyweight Champion, Seth Rollins. She is what is tying everything together right now. Raw had its highlights. It had some key moments. I just felt SmackDown was the better show from top to bottom over this past week. And that's two weeks in a row that I'm saying that for SmackDown. And anyone who's a long-term listener of this show knows I've been way more bullish about Raw than I have SmackDown for the last few months. Yes, SmackDown was the better show. I didn't think Raw was particularly good oh, interesting. Uh, in general. Uh, just, just repetitive and boring, mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, the crowd San Antonio was great Friday. Uh, it was in Dallas here on Monday. I thought about going... But I was traveling over the weekend and I was tired and then I got home to discover my wife has COVID again. So did not make it out to Raw. Also going on in Dallas was the Texas Rangers game seven. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was in Houston, but that game was going on. And from everything I could tell, it looked like the whole state, the whole arena was still packed and and decent crowd. So uh, shout out to Dallas for that uh, as well. Yeah, I mean, despite that with the Rangers and certainly people who bought tickets ahead of time couldn't have known, right, that they necessarily be in the ALCS, let alone, you know, be in uh, what was this game seven, I think. Right. Um, Despite all of that, they had sold uh, 11,700 tickets. Uh, The total capacity, or at least for their setup, was 12,150. So, I mean, they were basically a sellout. And there was even a moment, I think it was after the sixth inning, I noticed, um, where suddenly the crowd started chanting either let's go Rangers or F the Astros. It was one of the two. I just really couldn't tell, but it was definitely a baseball chant. So people clearly watching the game on their phone while Raw was going on. I don't blame them. It's their team. You know, that's what you do. Um, But Raw crowd, I thought was solid. Don't get me wrong. It was way better, way better than the Raw crowd last week. It just didn't hold the candle to, to SmackDown in San Antonio, which was one of the best TV crowds of the year for any brand. 
San Antonio, by the way, great city. If uh, you haven't been there, if anybody hasn't been there, the Riverwalk, it's great big event city. Final Fours and stuff that keep going back through there because it's really good for stuff like that. So shout out to the Alamo City. Great city from what I understand, but according to Chuck, I won't be looking around doing this. It's going to look good, but she's got me saying, hey now! So, I mean, what, how great of a city could it possibly be? But that's if you trust Charles Barkley and, you know, to each their own regarding that. Uh, folks, let's go ahead, get into the show. As mentioned, we have the main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the last word all coming up before we get out of here. Let's kick it off as we always do here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast by sliding into the main event. This is the main event. And really, at least for me, the overarching topic for SmackDown on Friday night was the fact that Roman Reigns was absent from the show one week after returning to television. Now, despite that, Reigns versus LA Knight for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship, that was made official for Crown Jewel before SmackDown even began. Paul Heyman opened the show, putting over Jimmy Uso for calling the play and executing against Cody Rhodes and Jay Uso last Monday. Then he promised Knight would get smashed by Reigns. LA came in, stole the mic from Paul, demanded Roman come out, and got all up in Heyman's grill, threatening him for really an extended period of time. It's not worth breaking down every single thing that he said, but the best line was that he would hit Heyman so hard, his hair would go back to gray. LA was pure, unadulterated, stone-cold Steve Austin here. Like, (laughs) if you didn't get those vibes, you did not watch Austin during his heyday. And that's not an insult. Well, that's just a fact of life, but that's a huge compliment because this was probably Knight's best solo promo in his entire WWE run. He came across like a no doubt main eventer and a big time threat. He had the crowd in the palm of his hand. The only problem is that Reigns wasn't there. Like somehow after returning for the first time in a couple months, he literally wasn't on the next show. And they're in San Antonio in front of 14,000 fans. That is insane to me, especially since they're doing a contract signing next week That's going to be on FS1, and one presumes he's not going to be on the go-home show for SmackDown unless it's pre-taped. So as great as Knight was here, Reigns being MIA was immensely disappointing, not just for me and I'm sure the millions of people watching at home, but I'm sure the 14,000 people that sold out this arena for SmackDown. They couldn't have been happy, despite it being a really good show, that the number one guy, the main character who came back one week prior was not there, couldn't do two shows in a row. Yeah, that was surprising. Um, It's always better when Roman is on the show and him not being there was unfortunate. Uh, Yeah, I I imagine what Crown Jewels on a Saturday, so I'm sure the go home is going to be pre-taped. Has to be this uh, Friday, you would think. It has to be. So so Roman's probably on the next two shows. Okay, I got a couple of LA night things here. Okay. And I want to get your take take on these two. The first part, announcing the title match through the LA Times. I hated that mm-hmm. so much. I get the idea like LA LA Times whatever like and it's a big outlet, <laughs> sure, but like right. this like he's not going to win. Right. So earning the title shot and getting Roman to say that or give it to him is supposed to be the big moment. Correct. And we didn't we didn't get it. It I I had missed it. I had not seen that 
because I was traveling, I was back home in Michigan. I had not seen it until SmackDown turned on. They're like, yeah, now it's on the LA Times. LA Knight's getting a tile shot. I was like, oh, that's all right. Well, <laughs> I was hoping to tune in tonight and find that. And, and so that was, I hated that. What, what, what do you think about that? So WWE feels like if they can promote or get an announcement like that via promotion through a reputable outlet, uh, whether it's a sports website like one of ours uh, or the L.A. Times or the New York Times or, yeah. you know, wherever they feel like from a PR standpoint, that is better for them than just announcing it on the show and just announcing it on the show doesn't really accomplish anything. Here's what I would say. If Reigns was on the program and they did this, I would 1000% agree with you. But the fact that Reigns wasn't there to grant him the title match and they weren't going to wait until next week on FS1 when they're planning to do the contract signing to announce it, to me, it made it six of one, half a dozen of the other. It was going to be lackluster whether Heyman opened the show, okay, you got your match, or whether it was in the uh, newspaper and then they opened the show and say, as reported by the LA Times, the match is made official. It, because of the circumstances, it didn't necessarily matter because it was already underwhelming. But again, if Reigns was on the show and said, okay, man, you're going to get your match and here's why I'm going to give it to you. And, you know, here's your here's your 15 minutes of fame. I'm about to extinguish them. You're a flash in the pan. Then that would have been the best case scenario. But once they decided not to do that, once they decided it was OK for Reigns not to appear on the show, I don't think it mattered that much. Yeah, I still think you could have had Paul Heyman do that. Like I have talked with Roman Reigns and he is. It would have been better. He's, he impressed with you. He is granting you a world championship shot. Crowd goes wild. So I just, I, you could have done something that bothered me. I understand why they do these announcements, but this specific one just irked me because like that was kind of, that was supposed to be one of the big moments for LA. Let's put it this way. If, okay. if Roman Reigns yeah. granting it to him would be a five out of five, right? And putting it in the newspaper in the LA times is like a two out of five then for me, Heyman saying it would have been a three out of five. Like it wouldn't have been the best case scenario. It wouldn't have been the worst case scenario. Would it have been slightly better? Yes. Not that much. Better. Or yeah. Or have LA Knight threaten Paul Heyman and then and getting Paul Heyman to, Get him to back into it. Match, you know, like, that's another way to do yeah, it. Yeah. Like, like force his way into it. Do something. All he literally just cut a promo in front of Reigns and got a title shot. And I think that hurts LA Knight in his growth as a character. Cause like, I, I think you need to see him earn these type of things, which brings me to the second point, mm -hmm. the promo. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Like you said, it was straight up stone cold, Steve Austin vibes. However, I, I wrote down in my notes at, when it was done, I was like, we still need the LA night story. We got it in the Miz feud. Mm -hmm. Hey, I, hey, you know, I, I was working, working my way up while Miz was doing this, you know, comparing the two of us and the crowd got really behind him for that. But we haven't touched on it really in a while. And so LA Knight's getting a world title match here. So like we need the vignette of like his story, his background, where he's been for 20 years, like like old clips, that type of stuff. Now we could get that before the contract signing. We could get that at the go home. Um, it, it could still come, but I feel like we're still missing that point at, at this point. However, we all know LA Knight's losing. So do you not want to build him up too much? So when he loses, it feels like a, 
downward fall as opposed to where he is now? What it, do you think about it? It's that? a good question. It's completely dependent on how they book him in the match, as far as I'm yeah. concerned. You know, the buildup, you certainly don't want it to be a WrestleMania build. You don't want it to be mm-hmm. a Sami Zayn build where it's all coming to this one moment, right? With Sammy, when he lost, there was something else out there directly, the tag team titles. You had a really good feeling that was the direction they were going, especially given the storyline. LA Knight is kind of being injected into this by himself as a siloed program. I mean, I guess John Cena has his back to some degree, but not really. Like it's now he's on his own here. So for a one-off, you don't want to make this feel like it's the moment and there's nothing else for him because he's going to have to transition out of this when it's over. So I'm okay with not building him up to the degree that you're talking about for this match. Let's also not forget, look, it is blood money in the sand and there is a portion of the audience while the vast majority will watch this. There is a portion that will not. And there's also considerations of the time of day, you know, the, the circumstances still during football season. If you're going to give L.A. Knight that big world title push, you do it when he's going to win a world title. And he's definitely not winning this match. So for me, I don't have a problem with how they're building this. I mean, I I respect and I do to some level agree with you that announcing it in the media is just wasteful. And, and WWE does it far too often when it's not necessary to do it. Um, but that said... In this particular case, given the circumstances, Reigns not on SmackDown, less bothered by it than I otherwise would be, is my best answer. Yeah, yeah, I think I agree with you. I I think this LA Knight push to a title shot right now is basically like, he's the fun guy, let's let's just go with it. Right. Like, don't take it too seriously, because he's going to lose, and then I trust that, you know, They've got plans for him. He's not going to fall by the wayside. And I, I we know they're going to want to protect him yeah. uh, as well. So like you said, depending on how that match plays out. Uh, so I, I agree with you on that point. Last point. Mm-hmm. Paul Heyman, phone update. He has, <laughs> okay. an, uh, he has an iPhone Pro. I, I, I just noticed it this week. I don't know if he has. You're saying, wait, you're saying a second upgrade in, uh, in six weeks. A second upgrade in like six weeks yes he now has an iphone pro i I don't know if it's a 15 14 or whatever but i wanted to acknowledge that because it's very weird that this has now happened twice right after i mentioned it on the podcast well this is kind of uh, what i'm thinking congrats on your new phone this is kind of what i'm thinking right so and this is i can't believe we're even getting into speculation over paul Heyman's iphone here but that's what we're doing um my guess is his original phone as you pointed out was old like way too old like older than it should have been um I bet you that broke. He quickly got a replacement family member or someone he knew or WWE gave him a phone or whatever the case might be. And now he got his new phone. That would be my guess. My theory. My guess is that the old red one, the iPhone 10 that he had Mm -hmm. was a not real working phone. It was a it was a dummy. It was a dummy phone, a worked phone just just for to use on TV. Uh, that it's not his real phone. That's okay. my guess. So, you, so you're you're saying that even this one's a worked phone that they just upgraded it to make it more, you know. Common. I think he may now be using his real phone <laughs> because it looks nicer. And because here's the problem, like so. At some point, here's the people noticed it. Here's the problem. At some point, we're going to interview Paul Heyman on this podcast. It'll happen because um, I've interviewed him many times. And 
unfortunately, we're going to have to waste probably four <laughs> minutes of that interview asking him about his cell phone. Like, I know it's going to happen. I'm already dreading doing it. He's going to tag us for it. He's going to, why are you, you guys have Paul Heyman on the show and you're asking about my phone. Like, I know that is going to happen. Um, I kind of want it to happen now sooner than later, but uh, we will at some point figure out the answer to Paul Heyman iPhone gate. I promise we will deliver it right here exclusively on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Let's continue with this main event. I know you had a lot to say about Ellie Knight and Paul Heyman, but there's a lot more that happened on SmackDown. So Jimmy jumped into the Bloodline locker room celebrating his success last week while annoying Heyman and Solo Sokoa. Heyman pointed out John Cena was walking into the arena and he came out soon after, John did, to a massive pop, loud chant. Cena basically had an existential crisis in the middle of the ring. That's really the best way that I can describe it. He did the thing where he kind of like feigned retirement only to turn around and say he still believes in himself. It wasn't quite Mark Henry, Sam and Jacket style, but that was the general idea. I got a lot left in the tank. I told you guys we'd get that on the show. Reminder, I was there for the Sam and Jacket. That's probably my greatest claim to fame. It was the first Monday Night Raw I'd ever been to in my life. And it was the Sam and Jacket one. We know. Uh, then he said he would smoke whoever decided to walk through the curtain to fight him. Uh, it wound up being, I thought, a fire promo from Cena. And the person who answered was obviously Sokoa. Cena got a few shots before Jimmy came down. They both completely botched a super kick. Then Jay ran in fully masked out of the crowd to attack Jimmy. He didn't miss his super kick, uh, but security dragged him away. The crowd pop for Jay was so enormous that he literally paused in the middle of his attack out of shock of how loud the fans were. Also funny was that Jimmy like called timeout in the middle of getting his ass kicked. Back inside, Cena ducked the Samoan spike, hit attitude adjustment, stood tall over Sokoa. We've been talking on the show about a Cena-Sokoa match being on this card, and this was obviously the direct build for it. Should get announced soon, I would guess this coming Friday. Outside of that awful super kick, this was a really hot segment, hotter than I expected. The payoff, though, it needs to be Cena, at least for me, beating Sokoa. Otherwise, it's another L, and all of this was for naught. And you know what? I think Cena's put over enough people now where he probably should win that match, but I don't know. We'll get to that maybe once it's actually announced. I loved this segment. I loved the Cena promo, and everything else that transpired afterward made complete sense in the storyline coming off of Raw into SmackDown, basically a parallel situation other than the fact that there was no title on the line here. 2002 days since John Cena won a televised singles match is wild. Mm -hmm. I had not realized that. And like people remember, people still remember, LOL, Cena wins, Super Cena, yada, yada, yada. It's been so long since those days, like five, six, seven years that like we're really, really past that. And just kind of reminds you, Cena has not been a major part of WWE for a very long time. And him continuing to come back and do these runs and just just put people over while he's there. Major kudos to him. You can tell how much he loves this. And every, I think everybody is incredibly appreciative of him. He He's basically just doing like various retirement tours and where everybody just is happy to see him and just keeps coming back and doing it. So uh, that was wild. Like but along those lines, Cena does need a win. He does. <laughs> I think, I think yeah. as weird as that is to say, uh, he does need a win. And to your point, I think that would be a good way to do it. Um, 
your point about the botched super kick, I very much noticed that too. Mm-hmm. However, Solo's kicks to Cena were extremely soft as well. And I think they're being very, they very are. careful about him. Yeah, uh, because sure. like he has said, you know, as soon as the actor strike ends, he's going back to work. And so I they're, they're going to be very, very careful not to injure him during this run. I think that was part of that as well. Um, and then I also wrote down huge pop for Jay, like legitimately gigantic. So that was cool. Without cheating, who mm. was the last person that John Cena pinned clean one on one? On TV. He he said it was 2018. It was 2018. Um, I'll, I'll say Miz. Triple H at the greatest Royal Rumble. Oh. Yeah. Now here's a crazy one, okay? So that's the last person, right? That's 2018. That was in April. One month earlier, okay? The third to last person <laughs> that he's pinned clean uh, or, or beaten clean one-on-one um, on television. Gold dust. <laughs> Isn't that wild? Okay, I have in a, no in a four minute match. Seeing, I have no memory of that at all. Yeah, four minute match, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, March of 2018. Wild. So, yeah, uh, it's been a while since John Cena has been relevant, you know, in terms of like winning matches, being a superstar who's involved in anything like that. And certainly the fact that he hasn't done that in 2002 days and counting, probably more, obviously more now. Um, I guess that would be like 2000 six days or whatever the case. Uh, it's pretty crazy. No question about that. Now, regarding Jimmy, Chris, because we didn't really touch on him that much, it is great to see this like character progression of him continue. It did start rough, as we've said before. But with him now being this like total hypocrite, he's proving his jealousy of Jay. He's trying to become the right-hand man himself. He's just a weasel that you love to hate. It's cool that he finally has his own character for so long. Let's not forget, he was the least interesting person in the entire bloodline by far. Like you could, there was a gulf between him and Sokoa as the least interesting person. Now he's way more interesting than Solo has been, at least to me. And you could make an argument, he's the second most interesting person to Roman Reigns. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, Heyman is fine, but... Jimmy now the last couple of weeks is just doing things. He's making moves and he's doing things that you're upset about. He's costing people tag team championships. He's getting put down by Roman Reigns. Like interesting stuff is happening with him and it's good to see. Yeah, no question. So now I want to move to a segment that kind of crosses between SmackDown and Raw. It's a series of segments, I should say. Uh, So I didn't exactly know where else to place it on the show, but it does have to do with the bloodline. And again, it has to do with things that happened Monday night on Raw. So Nick Aldis and Adam Pearce were backstage on SmackDown getting real heated about the Uso situation. Aldis eventually fined Jay $10,000 and kicked him out of the building. Did we not just say that they should do exactly that last week? We did, and I know that you, Chris, love when people get fined. Uh, So that was right in your wheelhouse as well. And then... Pierce said that Jimmy should be fined as well, given what he did on Raw. Yeah, no shit. He definitely should be. Instead, Aldis kicked Pierce out of the building along with Jay. The intention here being the SmackDown Raw feud is on ahead of Survivor Series, which is about five weeks out. Then on Raw Monday night, Pierce was approving a contract backstage when Aldis came into his office saying, hey, look, we got off on the wrong foot. 
I made a mistake escorting you out of SmackDown. I was just trying to establish my authority. So he apologized, Pierce accepted, and he said, go ahead, stay at Raw, see how the number one show operates. Aldis backstage looked like he might've been recruiting Caden Carter and Katana Chance. There was also a moment where The Miz said that he had spoken to Aldis backstage. So Pierce comes up and confronts him. Aldis decides to leave on his own accord and they shook hands. Now, the whole you know brand warfare stuff, that can get tired when it's guys randomly wearing those bright red and blue shirts out of nowhere. But when it's part of a storyline, that's when it hits. The question is what WWE is going to do here because it seems obvious or it seemed obvious to me the Usos would probably be captaining some teams, whether a traditional match or a war games match. My hope is that brand warfare is a traditional match and war games is feud based, which it seemed like they were building weeks ago with the bloodline aligning with Judgment Day and all the baby faces aligning together Avengers style. Really, the only question I had out of all of these segments is why Pierce was at SmackDown at all if it's not his show anymore. That was the one item that didn't make sense. They established all this last week. Then Pierce was on Raw. And then we come back to SmackDown and Pierce is there. It's not your show, bro. Why are you there? So that was the one issue I had. And we've also, though, talked about Raw being a little bit overloaded roster-wise. So the idea of Aldis possibly taking some of the talent, especially the KCs, to get another women's tag team on SmackDown, that makes a lot of sense. Both of these across the shows were well-executed backstage segments. They progressed an integral story for the shows ahead of Survivor Series. But Chris, let me tell you the best part about all of this. The Aldis stuff on Raw, at least I'm guessing, was total shade being thrown at Tony Khan for the bullshit contract tampering comments. It's always really funny because AEW, they go out and they just take direct shots at WWE, whether it's on TV or whether it's Tony Khan, like literally directing shots at people on Twitter. But whenever WWE answers back, it is always in a shady type of manner. And I don't mean shady as in like questionable, but shady as in like, it's not apparent to everyone what is happening, but it's these little Easter eggs that only an extremely limited portion of the audience picks up. And having all this do this in the manner that he did to me was just absolutely perfect. And it made me laugh. In fact, I didn't even notice it when it happened live. I was taking some of my notes after the show and just organizing everything. And I was like, wait a minute, is that what happened? And then I went back and I watched the segment on Twitter and I was like, yep, that's exactly what they did. So I know that was a lot for you to to discuss and to answer, uh, but go ahead, talk. Pierce, Aldis, The Fine. I know you love that. Uh, what's going on between Raw and SmackDown? Yes, I was going to start with The Fine. You mentioned it. Mm-hmm. And we just talked about it last week. I love kayfabe fines. I love kayfabe money. Like, I do it. So they they did it. And I was very happy about that show. Kudos to whoever decided to throw that in. The Pierce, Aldis spot. This also goes back to what we said last week. I said, how was Pierce actually promoted? If he's going from one show, from both running both shows to one, they called it a promotion. I said, how exactly is that a promotion? When I saw Pierce on on SmackDown, I thought, okay, this is why Pierce is above all this. He can be on both shows because he got promoted last week. But then on Raw, when all this comes over, that was the thing that made no sense to me because mm-hmm. we know he's just SmackDown. So 
kind of the same question you had. I just had it the other way. If Pierce was promoted, technically, I, I thought that meant he was above Nick Aldis. They appear to be on the same level. They're crossing shows now. You know, that divide between the shows continues to be very, very soft. And now we're literally seeing it with the general managers. It's Survivor Series season. I know that. But if we're living in these kayfabe, this kayfabe world with these kayfabe rules, uh, that stuck out to me. Well, hold on, though. Hold on, though. First of all, the management going back and forth, I don't have a problem with it. I'm just saying they had literally just separated them. And then the next week... Pierce is there with no explanation. If he said, and WWE, and I got to give Triple H credit for this, they do a really good job of like giving a reason for someone being on a show if they need to cross over, mm -hmm. right? So if Pierce was like, yeah, I had a meeting with Triple H, while I'm here, we need to discuss this Uso situation. That would have been 100% fine with well, me, but they didn't even do I that. Thought, you have to yeah. give the reason why he's there. You know what I mean? Well, I, I just, I thought Pierce could still show up on both shows. As he well, that's before. the thing. So that goes and he, got, and he got promoted. That goes that back to what we sense. talked about last week. What they really should have done, what would have made the most sense is if Adam Pierce became the general manager of WWE as a promotion in charge of Raw. And then Nick yeah. Aldis is the manager or again, whatever other name you want to give him of SmackDown, something other than Constable, um, you know, the whatever of SmackDown. <laughs> then you have Pierce overseeing the department, overseeing both shows, but in charge of Raw and then someone else in charge of SmackDown. Pierce gets to wield a little bit of power over all this if you do it that way. But I will say, it's not that crazy for someone to get promoted and then the organization to decide, we're gonna promote this one person, but it's actually a two-person job, so we're gonna hire someone else at that exact same level. Our organizations, not to get into any detail about our jobs, but you know, there's many sports that our organizations cover. And it is not that odd, at least in my world, for someone to move up to a position and then someone else to also be hired for the same job, but in a different area. And that is where this came across to me. That that's that's the context in which I put this, but I do agree for the average fan, it doesn't make that much sense to promote someone and then just put someone else and then give that person half the responsibility. I, I tell you what, yeah. people, you're not going to get organizational flowchart conversations on any of the wrestling. You're podcasts. not. That's only you're not. you only get that on the getting over. And I'm trying not to be specific about it either. It's tough to kind of explain it. But <laughs> my point is, for me, it's not that odd. Like it, it, it it's reasonable it's based fine. on our business is it's what I'm fine. trying to say. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. My only question, as you mentioned, Survivor Series is. Are we, we going to get Survivor Series matches, War Games matches, men and women? Is this going to be like a four or five card show? I don't know. I guess we'll have to see how it plays out. If you could book it, what would you do between two War Games matches, two traditional Survivor Series matches, or one of each? I would do one men's War Games match, a, a uh, traditional Survivor Series match that perhaps is co-gendered. Okay. Um, and maybe that's it. I don't think we need a women's war games match this year. Uh, I don't think we need two of each. I think you can either do two of one, one or the other, or make one of them multi-gendered. I could totally see that with like the Survivor Series match, for example. Yeah, like the way it, things are shaping up to me, and I know that everyone wants like equality where if there's a men's Royal Rumble, there should be a women's Royal Rumble. I don't think Survivor Series 
slash war games needs to be that necessarily every year. Nor do I think Elimination Chamber needs to be that. I, I'm totally fine if they do a women's chamber match and don't do a men's one one year. They won't do that, but I would be right. fine with that. The two where I think they have to do both are Royal Rumble and Money in the Bank. But the others, I'm okay if it's different as far as I'm concerned. However, this year, I agree with you. I think men's war games makes all the sense in the world given the number of talent at their disposal and the gravity of the storylines that are existing between Bloodline, Judgment Day, and like I said, the Avengers assembling, the baby faces. Whereas for the women, you know, damage control, you don't have Dakota Kai, she's not healthy, so they're not even a trio where they could add one person and have a match. It's going to be a lot more difficult to kind of put that together. You could, in theory, figure out a way to do it, but what interests me is that they're doing a fatal five-way women's match at Crown Jewel and Survivor Series elimination matches are how many people, Chris? They're five on five. And I just have this feeling that they're all going to go into this match and maybe even put on a banger, let's say a Crown Jewel. And then Adam Pierce is going to say, you guys did so well, you're now a raw team. And then Nick Aldis is going to say, okay, well, you know what we have over here? We have Bailey, EO Sky, Charlotte Flair, Bianca Belair, spoiler alert, we'll talk about that in a little bit. And... Asuka, and boom, you have your five-on-five five traditional Survivor Series matches. It kind of makes sense. Heel and babyface dynamics on both sides. That's always interesting. But for the Raw women, oh, there would be a lot of meat out there. There's a lot of beef out here. A lot of beef out there. I'm sorry about that. So that is my expectation. I don't know anything. That's my expectation right now. War Games for Men, traditional Survivor Series match for the women. But Let's go ahead and move over to Raw and see what transpired in the big picture Monday night. For me, the big topic, the overriding topic, as mentioned off the top, is that Rhea Ripley was the main character of the show, and she tried to get herself between Seth Rollins and Drew McIntyre throughout the entire program. So let's go ahead and break down how that happened. Finn Balor and Damian Priest opened Raw with their usual say nothing promo before Cody Rhodes quickly interrupted. He said he had choice words for the Judgment Day leader, leaving the guys confused before Rhodes pointed out, obviously, it's Ripley. And he said that she's their mommy as well. Cody said Damien won't get away with low-blowing him last week. Pre-shot back that Rhodes' story is one of failure, so Cody got heated. Damien reminded him that he's got a match with Jey Uso on Raw, so he challenged him one-on-one -on -one at Crown Jewel. Rhodes got ambushed four-on-one -on -one after the challenge. Jay ran down to help. As Cody was about to put Priest through the announce table, J.D. McDonough took out his knee, then put a steel chair around his ankle. Priest slapped that with another steel chair into the steps. Adam Pierce and Jay backstage, they convinced Cody to go to the training room. So it seemed a bit hollow to me, Chris, that Rhodes would be so laser focused on Priest and not getting back the tag team titles because the faces got screwed out of them. A rematch at Crown Jewel for the titles, while repetitive, would have made more sense, in my opinion, than just doing this one-on-one. -on -one. But that said, Cody hasn't had a singles match on a PLE since August, and he hasn't fought Priest one-on-one -on -one since June. More important though, I thought the end of the segment with the ankle attack was perfectly executed. That shit clanged loud, and the visual of it was perfect. It is kind of ridiculous that Cody needs another gimmick injury to overcome <laughs> against Priest. It's not like it's Lesnar, it's Priest. But this is WWE Booking 101. Shawn Michaels, Steve Austin, Daniel Bryan, like everyone has an injury to overcome. 
Cody two times in one year. Okay, yeah, that's a lot. Not the end of the world. I'm just wondering if he's going to get to all four limbs at some point. We'll have the other leg. We'll have the yeah, other arm. Yeah, two down. He'll just be a he'll just he'll just be a torso at that point. At, at first, I was like, all right, it's just it's more Cody Judgment Day, meaningless stuff. Fine, whatever. Um, I just I thought the start to the show was just kind of boring, repetitive. Mm-hmm. But as I thought about it, Damian Priest since winning Money in the Bank has just been doing tag team stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to remember him as a singles wrestler and wrestling in a stadium against a guy who main evented WrestleMania. I think just simply that stage will elevate him again, win or lose. And for Cody, after this brief tag team spot, he kind of needs to get back to that spot too. Because remember, he hasn't fought singles matches on the last, since SummerSlam, I don't think. So uh, I think this is a good set up for both of them to kind of reset them as they move forward. And the beat down at the end, I was just like, all right, we're going to do the limb thing with Cody. And then, all right, it was fine. So this was, uh, it was ultimately, I, I think it'll be a good spot for both. Right. I don't think it makes for the most exciting television, but it's the right booking to reestablish yeah. them as both singles performers, even though priest is literally one half of the tag team champions right now. But you have to remember, yeah. this guy won the briefcase. Even though he carries it around, you don't really see him that much. And there was a singles match with Priest later in the show that also helped reinforce that. And clearly, that is all purposeful what they're doing. So I, I do agree with you completely on that. Uh, Seth Rollins backstage came across Ripley, who said Judgment Day's rivalry with him was all built on respect. So she offered JD as insurance against Drew McIntyre. Rollins said Ripley must have lost faith in Priest being able to cash in against him. Ripley said with her and Judgment Day, Rollins wouldn't just be a world champion, but the world champion, suggesting, hey, Priest can always cash in the briefcase on someone else. She said without them, he has no chance of holding the title as long or being acknowledged the way that Roman Reigns is. Rollins clarified he has no desire to be anything like Reigns, but Ripley pointed out he didn't say no to her offer. Now, obviously, Rollins is not about to turn heel and join them, but this further served the concept proposed in the opening segment about Ripley being the leader, creating all the deals, making all the decisions, almost in a silo, because you don't think it would make any sense, right, for Priest to be okay with going after someone else, let alone that person being Roman Reigns. It also gave Rollins a chance to shade Reigns, and that's never bad. It They keep doing that. They've been doing it for the last two years, which makes me think, once Reigns ultimately does drop the undisputed title, eventually when he wins them back, or maybe not, at some point they are building for a Reigns-Rollins feud, like a true, real Reigns-Rollins feud. I feel like that is going to be, you know, your 2024 into 2025 feud. I think that is the long-term plan. And that's exciting because we haven't really had that in a long time. And even when we did have it previously, it wasn't to the level that I think it could be accomplished now, given both of their positioning on their respective shows. Yes. And I hope by then, uh, Seth Rollins is not wearing goofy glasses. Um, this was fine. Like, I don't like, you know, it's one of those, like the heel, you know, offers the baby face and you know, the baby face isn't going to accept, but, it was a nice interaction between characters that are not typically interacting. 
And that goes back to what we've said before, where so many different parts of the show are kind of flowing together that it, you need to watch the whole thing, that you can't just watch the clips. And so, uh, like you said, Rhea was kind of the focus of the show and her kind of doing all these things and her and Seth talking for a bit. I thought that was kind of cool, even if ultimately I don't think it goes anywhere. Sure. Uh, Sami Zayn fought Drew McIntyre before the match. McIntyre told Jay backstage that whatever happens to Sammy is on him because it wouldn't be happening if he wasn't on Raw. Jay had no answer to that because, hey, it was true. Uh, Zayn countered an Irish whip into the barricade by jumping off it with a moonsault. McIntyre then caught him off the ropes outside and chucked him over the announce table. Sammy countered avalanche white noise into a great sunset flip powerbomb. Zayn ate a Glasgow kiss after being unable to lift McIntyre, but he countered Claymore with a kick. And then he hit a blue thunderbomb. After Drew kipped up, Rhea's entrance hit. Sammy caught him in a small package, then hit an exploder suplex, but Ripley distracted him, opening the door for a Claymore and the end of the match. After the bell, Drew stormed straight past her. He got his arm raised and just laughed on his way out. Rollins confronted McIntyre backstage after the match, pointing out how Ripley helped him win. McIntyre was like dripping with sarcasm in this segment, saying he didn't ask for her there. And he said, hey, I saw you speaking with her earlier. They mutually agreed no judgment day at Crown Jewel, saying the best man would win the title. Now, most important was the booking here excusing the loss for Sammy, because this was a match that McIntyre absolutely had to win, like no question about it. He is going to be the one challenging for the world title at Crown Jewel. It was an absolute banger at four stars A minus. I can't go higher based on the finish. And obviously Ripley trying to recruit both Rollins and McIntyre while proving her worth. That's intriguing, not just in the short term, but obviously for Crown Jewel. The fact that they agreed no Judgment Day certainly indicates Judgment Day is going to get involved somehow. Maybe a potential <laughs> priest cash in attempt. Maybe it's something else. But I did think it was worthy storyline build all around. And this was, as far as I was concerned, easily the best match on the entire show. Yeah. Oh, yes. Absolutely the best match. McIntyre gets the win that he needed. You're right. This does, you know, I keep thinking, does Damian Priest lose at Crown Jewel? Cash in on Seth or Drew, you know, as a possibility. That's going to be in the back of our minds, even though they're telling us Judgment Day can't be involved. So I think that all was set up pretty well. And I loved that McIntyre completely ignored Rhea after the match. Mm -hmm. Like he just, he gets out of the ring, just completely walks past her, doesn't even look at her kind of puts his hand out a little bit to the fans, just continues to stick with that character. And it was good stuff. Loved it. And I'll tell you, walking by Rhea Ripley and ignoring her, not something easily accomplished. It looked good, but she's got me saying, hey now! Jay fought Priest. This was the main event of Raw. Jay ate a flatliner into the announce table, but escaped a razor's edge, countering with a spear and an Uso splash. Balor ran down, distracting the official from the count. So Jay took him out. Balor then gave Jay a nut shot through the ropes, like pulling it up. And then Priest hit South of Heaven for the win. Balor attacked immediately and hit a coup de gras after the bell. They went for the same ankle attack that they did on Cody, only for Rhodes to hobble out, selling the hell out of the ankle. Yet, he still ran down there faster than Charlotte Flair in her heels. Uh, but, but he still sold the hell out of that ankle. Uh, he took out Balor, used the chair on Priest. He went to repay the ankle spot only for Balor to save his partner. I kept wondering, where the hell is JD McDonough? Like, he didn't get taken out earlier. Dom had the... The jaw thing that we'll talk about later. So maybe he was with the trainer, but where was McDonough? He's got, getting there back all this time. They should have had a three on two advantage. But like with the match we just discussed, 
They definitely had the right winner, given the crown jewel match. Despite the talent in the ring, despite the overarching storyline, I didn't find this match anywhere near as compelling as Zayn and McIntyre. It was a flat finish to Raw for me. I'm not saying it was bad. I just wasn't amped up like I probably should have been or like they wanted me to be coming out of the show. The reason is because Drew McIntyre is a former world champion and Sami Zayn's a former main eventer type of stuff and mm-hmm. in the mix for world titles and Damian Priest and Jey Uso have not been. They're just, they're not at Sami Zayn and Drew McIntyre's level. I had the exact same feeling. I was like, I kind of feel like McIntyre to Zayn is more of a main event than this. Um, but look, they're trying to build them up and putting them on a raw main event is a way to do that. The pops for Jay here were not as big as they were in San Antonio uh, on SmackDown because it was a surprise. So this was fine. And ultimately, yes, I was trying to figure out how much Cody was selling the leg or not. I, you you want to say, oh, look, he fought through it to come out to save Jay, but also like you thought it was going to be more devastating than it apparently is. I don't know if he'll come out. You, you wonder if he was going to come out in like a leg cast or something like that. So apparently it's not too bad. It's not like the the arm, I guess. So right. we'll see on that. And uh, to, to another point I make many, many times, Cody Rhodes shirtless with dress pants looks just bigger man than, than he's wearing than when he's wearing his wrestling gear so same thing with drew mcintyre that we said many times in the past so uh it's a good look i need some meat yeah yeah that's a uh, vintage chris vanini on today's podcast right there folks that is the end of the main event so let's go ahead and move into our next segment you know it you love it it is the good the bad and the ugly and I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some Jordan. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in them articles that I read. All right, now we are going to spend a decent amount of time on the first one here, but we have plenty to talk about, really, everything else that happened across SmackDown and Raw will be covered right here in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Let's start with the WWE Women's Championship, Io Sky defending against Charlotte Flair. This was the main event. Damage control was ringside. Io hit a great sunset flip powerbomb and a meteora. Flair did a great tilt-the-world German suplex, plus a fallaway slam and a cradle suplex. Then she caught Io flying, put her on her shoulders, and climbed to the middle rope for an avalanche fallaway slam and a near fall, kind of looked like a Samoan drop still. Uh, Then Flair caught Io springing for a Boston Crab. Charlotte missed a move in the corner and sold a knee. She got drop kicked into the middle turnbuckle, but got boots up on over the moonsault and speared Io. But Bailey threw her foot on the bottom rope. Perfect timing for a false finish. Charlotte went wild on Bailey, throwing her over the announce table. Dakota Kai handed Sky her title. Then Kai distracted the referee with Flair spearing herself directly into the title as Io covered for the one, two, three to retain in 16 minutes. Damage control then attacked Flair only for Bianca Belair to make her return and take out Bailey, who saved Io from the kiss of death and took the KOD herself. Then she fist bumped Flair to end SmackDown with the baby faces on top. A lot to dive into here. Let's hold on Belair for a moment. Maybe it's just my personal preferences, but it felt like everyone in this match was on the wrong side. Bailey saving Io was such a huge babyface moment for me. And the crowd was so into Io, it 
felt like they easily could have done like a double turn with everyone better off because of it. Alas, that's not what happened. This gets a good because the match banged at four stars and an A minus, and I'm obviously thrilled that Io retained the title. This was easily Flair's best in-ring work of her most recent run, so basically since WrestleMania in April, since she returned a couple months after that. So much better by her. And the finish, I will admit, was exceptionally clever with Charlotte spearing herself, almost like Bill Goldberg, I think it was Bret Hart, the steel plate. It's just, even though she's a heel and in a group, I get all of that, okay? Io is the WWE Women's Champion. She hasn't exactly accomplished anything. She won the title with Money in the Bank. The triple threat was kind of a happenstance win. And here, she beat Flair with a belt shot after Bailey saved her from losing clean. That is protecting Charlotte way too much. I would have much preferred she have kicked out of the spear, Io. Then, if you want to do the finish as you did, okay. But even better would be her kicking out of the spear, then adding the moonsault finisher after the belt shot. If you book it that way, Io looks strong despite cheating to win. Instead, she came across as completely lucky and less than Charlotte, who was way overprotected in the finish. And given Aldis just gave Flair a title match for getting, quote, screwed, why would he not give her another one after this? Yes, all correct points. And, and to the largest point of, it felt like Io was the face and Charlotte was the heel and just the way it all played out. And it kind of goes to, to, to even to go back to Raw real quick, like Rhea came out at one point and crowd was chanting for her and she says, it's okay, you can chant my name. It's just a lot of these women are in these like between roles where we want to cheer certain ones and not others. And it makes the dynamics feel a little off. You're right. You know, Charlotte got screwed. Theoretically, does she get another rematch? I I don't know. Um, EO, you would have really loved to just had a clean EO win over Charlotte to just not even really clean, though, because she is a heel. Her. She is a heel and it's WWE. It's not going to be squeaky clean, sure. but you could have done much cleaner. She could have looked stronger in the finish. The the weird thing about the the weird thing remains about damage control is that EO is still mostly a face like she's not the one cheating ever and it's really Bailey doing stuff in Dakota Kai and mm-hmm. Bailey's putting her in matches when she doesn't want to be uh, so it's it's weird like we haven't had a reason to boo EO really it's more damage control because it's right. felt like for months that damage girl is breaking up and we're going to get bailey eo at some point that hasn't happened so like if you're going to do that just you know maybe lean into it a bit more so it was weird but it was a great match uh love that they got the main event of a, of a show like that um so step forward compared to where it's been in previous weeks though definitely a step forward and hopefully it kind of seems like flair is out of the championship picture, let's fingers crossed that Aldis doesn't just give her another shot just because. But again, I just want to repeat one more time before I move on. If EO kicks out of that spear, everything else that succeeds it is so much better because she looked strong in the moment as champion. Instead, she had to get the foot on the rope. Then she used the belt. She didn't hit a finisher. Like there was no moment at the end there where you're like, oh, EO deserves to have retained the title, even though she's a heel and cheated. That is That should have been the goal coming out of this. But I just mentioned, okay, Flair might be out of the title picture. Fingers crossed, let's hope. 
But now we have the return of Bianca Belair. And she's back as a pure baby face, getting flares back of all people. And nothing preceding it, like a change in character or anything like that. It makes this feel like a wasted opportunity to me. Now, obviously, she just came back. She hasn't said a word. They can easily do a character adjustment. But really, the only thing different about her was that her gear was way less corny than it used to be. It was plain gold. She looked sharp as hell. Instead of coming in covered in like the flat colors with the lips everywhere, her big lip gloss, like pink or blue or whatever color, she looked like a million bucks, all gold, the way she was dressed up. I just hope that there's some type of character change on the back end because she's been the same person since since she arrived on the main roster. And when you have someone that's away for that long, when they come back, you don't want them just coming back as the exact same character unless it's like a John Cena, you know, or, or like a Sami Zayn and knock on wood, he's injured and he comes back. But when it's someone who needs a refresh, you want them to actually get it. We're getting that right now with the Street Profits. We're not getting that, it seems, with Bianca Belair. And because of that, in the moment, I was really disappointed that like the heels just didn't stand tall to end SmackDown. And then you save Belair for something else. So I want your take on Bianca's return and your expectations. My first thought was her gear, the gear, like you said, for some reason in my mind, I thought Jasmine from Aladdin, like it just it kind of felt like that. Yeah, so I pulled I up that. her it pulled up her Instagram while you were talking and the, the, the it pulled up the gear. There's like a comment from Ronda Rousey, Zelina, Samantha saying you look great. And then like the third comment is somebody saying, please turn heel. <laughs> <laughs> so like this is this is very much a thing. That I think a lot of people want. I think the fact that she didn't say anything still keeps that door open. She saved Charlotte, though. But I mean. yes, but I'm wondering because what EO took the title from Bianca, right? Well, I think technically because they did the double title change. B- Bianca won. Bianca won it and then immediately lost it. Yeah, she so she won with a small package makes, and then lost it immediately. It makes it. sense. Yes, it makes sense for Bianca to come back in that be her focus first yeah so maybe we get another eo bianca match bianca loses again maybe she gets cheated out of it again or something and then she does a drew mcintyre kind of heel turn mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think that i think that's possible i think that would be a it would be a smart way to, to go but like it wouldn't have made sense for bianca to come back and side with eo or oh no or no definitely like not yeah so so really, let me let me clarify because you're right. It, let, yeah. let me clarify. The problem is not necessarily that she's a baby face. It's that she returns and she's immediately in the title picture again, because, you know, let's let's be sure. honest, right? Like we're sick of Charlotte Flair around the title because it's been like a decade of it. But for the last, you know, four years or however long Bianca Belair has constantly been around the title, either as champion or as the main challenger for the title or being kept away from it just long enough so that she can challenge for it after the fact. So. It's not the same level as Charlotte, but it's pretty damn close. Whereas you have Bailey, who's been really, I mean, I know she's challenged for it, but she's been nowhere near the picture of actually being a champion for years upon years at this point. And you have other women on the roster who aren't getting a sniff of it. Yet Bianca Belair comes back, boom, right in a storyline with the women's champion. You're right again that there was a, you know, when she went away and she was injured in that, in that kayfabe storyline with uh, when EO cashed in. 
it makes sense for her to want retribution, no question about it. It's just immediately injecting her right back into the title picture. What about everyone else? Like on Raw right now, if it was just constantly Rhea Ripley and Becky Lynch over and over again, you'd say, hey, what about like uh, Raquel Rodriguez? Or what about uh, Shayna Baszler? Well, guess what? There's now four women challenging her. And pretty much none of them, with the exception of uh, Rodriguez, has been heavily involved with Ripley for the title. Here, we've seen Flair. We've seen Belair. Asuka previously. We thought that might like be a premium live event match. They gave it away on TV and it was great, but we wanted more from Asuka and Io. That was at least fresh. My frustration is Belair's back and she's immediately in the title picture, just like when Flair comes back and she's immediately in the title picture. I just wish it was done a little bit differently. I wish she had a problem with Bailey instead of Io. Like, I don't know. It was just, I was excited to see her back. She got a great pop. I'm not trying to like denigrate her or anything. Like I said, she looked great. She wasn't wearing like the bright blue pants with the lips on them and all the glitter, like, the look was massively improved, but it's just, it feels like it's the same thing. That was my problem. On that note, okay, because this is the other note that I had around that, it would have been cool if someone fresh saved Charlotte. Like, obviously Asuka was just around and she's taking a little bit of a break from TV, but like Mia Yim, Shotzi, there's talented women doing nothing on SmackDown. Can we really not build up Io and Shotzi as a feud? Or Io and Mia Yim? I mean, SmackDown actually has a strong women's roster, but no one gets a chance to do anything. EO feels like a placeholder champion rather than someone they're getting behind. This despite fans really liking her and obviously EO being insanely talented. Look, maybe it's a little bias showing through. Maybe it's just, I like EO so much. I want her to have a really strong title reign. It's her first opportunity. It just doesn't feel like she's the most important part of any of these storylines. It's always... The baby face is more yes. important than her or Bailey sometimes is more important than her. She's the champion. I want her focused more. I want her featured more. And if you put her against Shotzi and Mia Yim, not only are you going to get good matches, but Eel's going to be the focus. She's going to be the A side. She just constantly feels like a B side right now. That's part of my frustration. That's fair. I, I don't know how much, again, is language barrier and promos and stuff like that. But as I said, it, it feels like she's still kind of, it feels like she's still kind of, luchasaurus to bailey's christian um and that yeah. that hurts all right let's move on from this i told you we were going to spend a lot of time on it i was passionate about it we have a lot more to talk about though nxt women's championship becky lynch defending against indy hartwell on raw becky explained backstage that she was defending the title on consecutive nights she's also going to be doing it at halloween havoc on nxt the night as we tape this show, uh, because Indy deserves to get a chance that she never got to regain her title. Zia Lee popped into frame, staring Lynch down from behind while she was talking. Indy and Candice LeRae were prepping backstage when Natalia came in, wishing Hartwell luck and announcing that Tegan Knox got injured at NXT but would be fine, so she needed a new partner. Even if this is short-term for Tegan, and rumors are that it's just a concussion, it's just patently unfair that she's finally involved in something that matters, and now she's out yet again. Hopefully, she's back soon. Lyra Valkyria was in the crowd, and Hartwell did the way gesture with Larray when she entered. Indy looked her best by a wide margin since she's debuted on the main roster in the ring here. Lynch hit a perfect superplex and caught Hartwell in a triangle, only to eat a deadlift powerbomb and an on-point spinebuster. Becky eventually countered Indy into the disarmor for the submission victory and title retention in nine minutes. They shook hands after the bell, and Candice looked disappointed, only to get struck blind by Zaya, who said it was a message for Indy as well. The match was a blast. To see the crowd go from 
completely indifferent at the opening bell to fully invested in the finish tells you all you need to know about what Becky is single-handedly doing, elevating this division. This was a singles match, yet six different women were involved telling the story. And while Indy still needs more TV time, she still has to get fully established. This was a huge step in the right direction for her. Good. It's not about getting more TV time or being fully established. It's about getting any TV time and being established at all. She is never on television uh, outside a couple of backstage segments. So, like, you're right. At the beginning, crowd was completely dead because they had no feelings on Indy Hartwell. And by the end, they were cheering. That's a credit to both of them. It's a credit to what Becky Lynch is doing. And I understand that Halloween Havoc is was following that right up. But, mm-hmm. again, this feels like a lot of NXT being shoehorned into into raw and it's just it's weird because we just went through the trish stratus feud where it felt like all right becky lynch has been established as like a top player in the women's division again and what do we follow it up with tegan Knox and all these nxt women's title matches and it's just strange so like i like they did a great job with it they did a really good job with it and and becky is helping a lot of people along the way and she's again one of the greatest ever I just don't really care about what she's doing on screen right now. And that's because I don't want to watch NXT regularly. And it feels like that's it feels like sometimes it's a promotion for NXT. So it was good. I was just kind of mixed on it. Okay, I mean, I just completely disagree with you. Uh, The it is a promotion for NXT, no question, but I don't think it's too much NXT. This is really all you're getting on the show. I mean, Dominic's the North American champion, but they don't. They only occasionally will run a storyline. They did the Dragon Lee match like three weeks ago at this point, but we haven't done another one of those since. They haven't done another one of those since. Um, They needed Becky to, number one, help NXT, sure, but number two, do something that does not involve Rhea Ripley because they're delaying bringing that storyline into focus for WrestleMania season. That's clearly going to be the planned WrestleMania match. So in lieu of that, you're either going to have Becky feud with Shayna Baszler, just as an example, one-on-one over what exactly, or you potentially have her not just elevating the Raw women's division that badly needs to get elevated, but you also have her elevating the NXT women's division, which doesn't as badly need to be elevated, but they do need to work against really talented women like her. You don't really watch NXT her storylines down there have been really solid. The one they're currently doing with Lyra Valkyria is great. And this match Tuesday night is highly anticipated. I love what she's doing, giving other women opportunities on Raw itself. Let's not forget there was a little start and stop uh, with Becky not being cleared because she got hurt. And then eventually she did. So the Tegan thing didn't go exactly as it was initially planned. Uh, but I mean, I don't have a single crossword to say about her booking, the usage of the NXT Women's Championship, or her working both shows. Um, she's made a concerted effort, Becky has, to try to elevate women around her. It's been badly needed. Think about how long we were talking about on Raw. Like, we would see four women, they would have two matches, they'd both be short, and we'd be really frustrated. Last week, there were 18 women on Raw. I did not do the full count this week, but at one point, 75 minutes into the show, 12 women were already on the program, and then more obviously were on the show later. So, I think what she's doing is fantastic. I know that you're not saying it's not a positive, but I have zero issue whatsoever right. 
with her booking, the title being on the show, the usage of it, the matches. I, I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's way better than the opposite. Sure. I, I just think I I just think I'd love a little more story other than Becky Lynch is giving all these women their chance. Oh, I I've I've been injured. Here's your chance. Mm-hmm. Indy Harwell won your title. Here's your chance. Like Zoe Stark got really elevated because there was a story there with the Trish stuff. So I would I I know she's doing stories on NXT, which are apparently very good. Mm-hmm. So th- that's there. I'm just specific to Raw. That that's fine. I will say totally unrelated NXT thing. This has always just kind of bugged me. Lyra Valkyria. Mm-hmm. I can't only think of Tira Valkyrie. They have Taya. almost the same name. Taya Valkyrie. Taya yeah. Valkyrie. Yeah. And they have almost the same name. I'm just very surprised because Lyra came in not long after Tira, Tyra left. Tyra was fired. Left. Taya was yeah, fired. It was, yeah. was gone. Yes. I'm just... Yes, left the company. So and so that's just it, I keep mixing the two up in my head, the, and it's very annoying. It's just a personal pet peeve. I just wanted to say. It. So here's the thing: her original ring name and like what she used when she was in NXT UK because she was there first was I don't know how to say this first name. So like, please excuse me if you're Irish and I say it wrong or whatever. But Aofi A O I F E Valkyrie Yeah V A L K Y R I E. So when they brought her over. And they had Taya Valkyrie, or that was the plan, or they had them both in the same company. They're like, we can't call them both Valkyrie. And also, it's very similar to her name. <laughs> so they changed yeah. it to Valkyria. So it wasn't exactly the same. But then you have Aofi, or however you say that, going to Lyra, which is closer to Taya. So like they went away from it on one half of the name and then closer to it on the other half. I agree with you. Um, to some degree, like initially it was very difficult. It was also very difficult for me to say, but once I figured it out, it was fine. Um, but I get where you're coming from, especially being someone who hasn't been watching her for an extended period of time. And now you're just seeing her for the first couple of times. It does take like a month, at least for me, it did uh, to get (laughs) used to it for sure. No question. Yeah. Uh, no, I do have a DM that came in from Nicholas Malas at Buckeye Nick seven. He said, do you think this shows Becky with the NXT women's title that a mid card title would have benefited the women's division more than the tag team titles. That's his question. So I think it's really tough to say, but this is a really good question. Booking a mid card singles title would have been this whole time far easier than tag team titles for the women's division. When you're talking about the last couple of years, but without the motivation to give the women creative outside of the main event, I'm not sure it would have mattered whether it was one or the other. There have been good stretches with the tag team titles. We have to remember. But let's also remember that they're legitimately cursed. Like a lot of well-laid plans have been thwarted due to everything from people quitting to significant injuries to Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler to other injuries for women that were part of the title picture, to pregnancies, changing tag teams as they were being constructed. What I find interesting is that Raw right now is operating with two singles titles and the women's tag team titles. And it actually doesn't feel like too much because of Becky's involvement in the NXT women's title. All three were featured Monday in multiple segments each. What WWE needs to do now is truly establish the other women's tag teams and build a legitimate primary 
few sets of contenders. You have Unholy Union, you have the KCs. There's other teams that are formulating the way, uh, you know, between Indy Hartwell and uh, Candice LeRae. They're existing, they're coming together. Uh, uh, Natalia and Tegan Knox, when she gets healthy, like all of this is actually coming together for the women's tag team division. They just gotta remain consistent with it. So really, Nicholas, to answer your question, I don't necessarily think the mid-card title would have been more successful than the women's tag team titles, other than the fact that injuries, uh, quittings, uh, pregnancies would have affected it less, and therefore it probably would have been more consistent. But it all starts with creative having the motivation, the desire, and the conviction to book beyond the women's main event on each show. And they weren't really doing that, both under Vince McMahon and under Triple H, until recently, and right now, they're not only doing it with the quote-unquote mid-card title, if you want to call it that, the NXT Women's Championship, they're also doing it with the Women's Tag Team Championships. Yes, and to your point, as they are now putting so many women on the show last couple weeks, I would love for them to do both. Put the tag team titles on one show and a mid-card title on the other show. I also think NXT should have kept their women's tag titles, but that's a whole other thing. This whole rotating between shows for the women's tag titles was supposed to create a lot of op different opportunities and teams, but instead it felt like, well, if you're not involved in that, you're not doing anything. So uh, the NXT title, as much as I said, I just, I don't care about it. The idea of it as a mid card type of title, I think does work. So I think you can do both if you're going to be willing to put in the time and the women mm -hmm. to do it. And right now they kind of are. Yeah, that's the thing. In wrestling, you can pretty much make anything work as long as you're dedicated to making it work. The 24-7 championship would have worked if they put it in any effort to book it the way it should have been booked, which was God. surprise title matches oh. on social media and alerts to your phone yeah. and, you know, real people holding the title, not our truth having it 72 times. Like, yeah. it could have worked if they tried. They didn't try. The women's tag team championships, it goes through periods where they try. Golden role models, they tried. The Kabuki Warriors, they tried. Um, they did have plans for Shayna Baszler and Ronda Rousey. They fell apart because both of them kept getting hurt. If you try, it could definitely work. But right now, or, or but previously over the last, you know, let's say six months, they really weren't trying. Now they're starting to. Everything seems to be falling into place. It's a really good way to move into the women's tag team title segment here. Uh, Chelsea Green and Piper Niven fought Natalia and Nikki Cross in what I believe was a non-title match. It had to be a non-title match. Cross was the surprise partner that Natalia mentioned earlier. She slowly walked down to the ring, got on the ring apron, and just stood there like catatonic. Then she just walked out on Natty, like all inside of two minutes. Piper tagged in blind. Natty tried a sharpshooter on her, but Chelsea caught her from behind with Unprettier, and Piper hit her running crossbody for the win in three minutes. So look, it gets an automatic bad, just because it was so short and clunky and no one really benefited. But to speak some positives, it was storyline-based with Nikki, Natty was two-on-one, and the champions actually got a match. Natty being two-on-one is why it being three minutes makes more sense in this scenario than it normally would. But it's still bad. It just, <laughs> they could have done so much more here. Um, I really don't need Natty in the tag team title picture. I know she might be with Tegan. Maybe that works better. Maybe this Nikki storyline actually comes across, no pun intended, as something positive down the line. But in terms of this individual segment, it was one of the low points of the show. Yep. Uh, as much as I love Chelsea and Piper, got to give this a bad. I was intrigued by the Nikki storyline and 
I still think she has all the potential in the world to mm-hmm. do some really cool stuff. They just kind of never figure it out. Um, but yeah, it's a bad. It's been start and stop with her as well for a variety of reasons. Some personal, some creative. I- I'm excited that she's on the show and they're getting behind her. It's two weeks in a row that we've seen her. Like I said, more than a dozen women in the first 75 minutes of TV. Hugely positive stuff. Uh, the Women's World Championship contract signing was also on Raw. Pierce was in the ring with a ton of security ringside. As each woman entered, they signed the contract. Nia Jax refused at first. Ripley was out last to a nice pop and a mommy chant. She called the match a conspiracy, saying that she would make Pierce's life a living hell and again prove she's the most dominant woman in WWE. Jax pointed out that Ripley was trying to get them to beat each other up, first pulling like a Jim Halpert and then mocking Raquel Rodriguez. They brawled with security getting involved. Nia missed her cue to throw a guy out of the ring. So everyone was just standing around being like, come on, Nia, it's your turn. Like she throws the guy out of the ring. They're able to continue with the segment. Jackson Rodriguez, they went at it the longest with Nia eventually catching her with the Samoan drop as Ripley spent the entire time ringside, just laughing at them all beating each other up. I was not into this at first. And Nia's take that Ripley wanted them to just tear each other apart. It didn't really play given she's the one who attacked all of them and created the storyline reasoning for the match itself. But it was tough not to enjoy Ripley with the shit-eating grit on her face, while Rodriguez and Jax, credit where it's due, they got the crowd going. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping me tonight! Hardly my favorite thing on Raw, and I do need to comment, it's not an appearance comment, it's a gear comment. Nia Jax's gear was atrocious. But despite those factors, This was good enough. Most interesting to me is that all five women got involved. I think the vast majority of them had their own little featured moment. And yes, Nia was the focus. And yes, she'll probably be a direct challenger for Rhea sooner than later. Um, But she wasn't terrible here other than the fact that I think they gave her some bad creative and obviously the missed spot. Yeah, it was better than I expected. And I, I think the kind of kayfabe explanation of I'll just go get Rhea to sign it later, you know, it was a different kind of contract signing. There wasn't a table. Um, they were just like, all right, we'll all get in the ring and you just grab it and you sign it. And <laughs> while entrances are still going on, I was intrigued. Um, it was a lot better than I expected. I give that a like good. Moving back to SmackDown, Santos Escobar fought Montez Ford. Angela Dawkins pumped up Ford backstage. He was wearing a do-rag and looking real angry and focused. Montez hit a backwards bulldog springing off the middle rope. Santos came back with a top rope hurricanrana, so Angela Dawkins straight pulled Ford out of the ring. There was a strange botched move over the ropes. Dawkins drove Ford into the post and wiped out Legato del Fantasma. He ate a flying knee from Escobar, but Ford put him in a schoolboy and grabbed his tights for the one, two, three. Carlito made the post-match save with a chair. Rey Mysterio thanked Carlito for his help backstage and said he would handle Logan Paul on his own. The match went as expected. It got 10 minutes. It was good enough. But man, it sucks that LWO and Escobar just stay losing. They can never win shit. It's worth noting that Carlito was in an LWO shirt, but it was oddly the Mexican flag one, even though there is a Puerto Rican version and he's Puerto Rican. Like, just wear that one. Why are you wearing a Mexican flag shirt? Doesn't make sense. I'm not sure I get any of that, especially since it doesn't seem like he's an official member as far as I'm aware. But again, the segment was good. Yeah, I'll give it a light good. It was a fresh matchup and good wrestling between the two. And yes, I've had the same. We've talked about the the shirts dating back to um, Backlash. Mm-hmm. 
one or over the other <laughs> from but, the logos uh, the yeah, titantrons no, it, it, all of it yeah 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 it, it was uh, it, w- it was fine i give this a light good okay uh logan paul opened hour two of smackdown absolutely tearing apart whatever jobber he fought in england uh saying if he wanted a real fight that he should have just come back to wwe earlier honestly kind of cool that logan keeps putting over wwe in that way paul pointed out that he already beat ray mysterio in his first wwe match and when that happened, Dominic was still race on Roman actually showed up to work and LA Knight didn't even have a job. Logan said he knows who he is and he's a WWE superstar. And while he doesn't care about Mysterio or the respect or the legacy that he carries, he wants the United States championship. Ray came out. He said Logan reminded him of Dom because he has amazing ability and passion, but a big mouth. So he's willing to beat him just like he did his son. Mysterio made the match for Crown Jewel. So Paul said good luck and offered a handshake. Ray was very reluctant. Logan eventually reached in further and shook his hand. I feel like a record here, okay? But, dude, this has to be said. Every time he shows up, Logan Paul proves more and more he's the real deal and has a limitless ceiling in WWE. This wasn't a good promo. It was an excellent promo from him. Literally no notes. He has charisma for days. He's clearly passionate about WWE. As a celebrity from outside, and not just a celebrity, a 28-year-old celebrity, when he puts WWE over, he's not just putting over WWE, he's putting over professional wrestling in totality to a larger audience. He's telling people it's cool to not just watch, but to love it because I love it. Now, you and I and many people listening, we may not give a damn what Logan Paul believes or what he likes, but there are millions of people who do. Here, more than ever before, I believe WWE might actually make him a world champion if he fully committed to them like for a year or at least a six month period, maybe a money in the bank cash in situation. If this guy was not a celebrity, but a prospect in NXT, we would be saying he's a future multi-time champion. Clear and obvious good. Yeah, I think I said after SummerSlam or even before then, but he is going to be a world champion in WWE, especially now that there are two belts um, that he he can take one of them and be a champion for a short amount of time, whatever. He's just he's just so natural at this, like the athleticism and the promos. He he knows he knows where every camera is. There was one of the segments. I don't remember which one it was, but the camera was shooting them from below. And he spotted it and just started talking into that one and just really big heat magnet. You know, he, you can, you can think he's a piece of crap, but he's better at pro wrestling than anything else he does. And that's true. (laughs) This, this, like, this may be the best business decision WWE has made in a very, very long time to get in business with him because I don't think this is going to stop anytime soon. And I really do. He's gotten WWE in front of so many new kinds of people through his podcast, through everything he does. And to go from that big YouTube boxing match to immediately start talking about WWE as if it, as if they are the same thing, which they kind of are, but it just, he just further legitimizes watching wrestling in the eyes of a lot of people. And I do think he's going to be a world champion at some point. I do think he's going to win the U.S. title here, which we'll get to next week. 
uh, when we do the, the picks. But man, every time he shows up, just like he gets better and better at this. And you're like, yeah, if he, if he was on the show every week, it'd be incredible television. Let's make something crystal clear because I don't want it lost. Okay. We're talking about a YouTube celebrity boxing pay-per-view. Okay. They sold 1.3 million of those buys for that show. AEW for like their top pay-per-view. I don't think they've eclipsed 250,000. Maybe it's less. Maybe it's like 220,000, something like that. They sold 1.3 million. And after that match, and I don't think he was the main event of the show, but after that match where he kicked this guy's ass, he puts over WWE saying it's better than boxing. And then he says, I want to fight Rey Mysterio and win the United States Championship. That is how in he is with WWE. And then he comes out on WWE television and he gives a promo. I'm not going to repeat what he just said, but what he just said that this is real fighting and this is better for me and this is where I want to be. I'm a WWE superstar. He is a WWE superstar. He is. (laughs) Hate it or love it. That's, this is his home and he fits. And I mean, again, I'm not a fan of Logan Paul, folks. Like, (laughs) let me be very crystal clear about that. But when he comes out and he gets a mic or he's in a match, you can't help but watch and you can't help but appreciate and respect the job that he does. And what's probably, I don't want to even say more impressive, but what is also impressive about it is I have not heard, I don't think you've heard, and I don't think publicly it's been reported that there's been a single crossword about him from any of the full-time superstars, people who have worked with him, people who haven't, but have just observed. It doesn't seem like he carries himself in a special way backstage. It seems like everyone respects that he's really trying to do this. And we have more to talk about with Logan Paul. But Chris, I don't know if you had anything you wanted to answer what I just said here. I just find the guy really impressive inside the squared circle. Completely agree. And then we saw it again on Monday. Yeah, we did. So Logan came out at the midway point of Raw talking more shit about the guy he beat in the boxing match. I don't even know who this guy is. All I know is that he's just destroying him. Uh, He used that to circle around and announce he's actually a free agent in WWE and will give his haters something to talk about. Dominic Mysterio came out and got his ass vociferously booed, saying he can't wait for Paul to beat up his deadbeat dad. Logan said Dom had to overcome Ray to become champion of a continent, while he overcame the odds and will humble Ray to become the United States champion. Logan said he was excited to win the title, and he invited his favorite ring announcer, Samantha Irvin, into the ring, callback to the Ricochet feud, obviously. Logan said he wanted her to get her flowers in the middle of the ring, so she walked in. And I don't even need to kind of continue. This obviously gets a good Samantha Irvin involved in a storyline. We're, you know, Logan Paul, Dominic Mysterio. I'm not going to waste any time on the grade, but he asked her to announce him as the champion. She refused. Ricochet ran down to the ring, took Logan straight off his feet with a tackle. Paul ultimately saved Dom from a high-risk finisher, and Ricochet checked on Samantha at ringside after it was all over with a kiss. Now it made complete sense why Logan was on Raw. We were saying last week, they said he's going to be on SmackDown. Why are they announcing him for Raw if he's challenging Rey Mysterio? That doesn't make any sense. Fun segment. It sets up Ricochet with Dom. It got Logan on both shows, and it teased Dom's involvement in him taking the title potentially at Crown Jewel. Plus, we got the ultimate heat tag team, Chris, that we have talked about for a while. Dom and Logan in the same ring. And let me say one more thing before you get in here. I saw tweets from prominent people about, oh, they clearly piped in booze. I also saw and heard fan video from Dallas. The booze folks are not piped in 
for Dominic and they're not piped in for Logan Paul. They never have been. Let me explain something. Audio can be mixed. So what WWE probably does is they probably turn down his mic 10%. They probably turn up the crowd 10%. And that makes it sound a little bit louder on TV than it does in the arena, even though in the arena it is loud as shit. And it was a smaller venue, but I was in NXT a couple of weeks ago, and I can promise you it was deafening. I could not hear the promo or hear a lot of anything the way people boo Dominic in that tiny venue. Imagine an entire arena. What WWE does not do is pipe in boos. Have they ever? Yes, absolutely. We've pointed it out on the show. LA Knight at one point, when he became LA Knight again, he started getting cheered. WWE literally piped in boos through the audio mix because they he was supposed to be a heel. They wanted him to be a heel. When they do that, it is bad. It is insulting. It is stupid. That is not what they're doing here. If you have a problem with a technicality of an audio mix being tuned up and tuned down just a little bit on both ends, that is, you are way too in the IWC and you are way too involved in the minute details of professional wrestling. What you need to know is Dominic Mysterio is a super heel who gets his ass booed. Logan Paul is a super heel who gets his ass booed. And about 90%, maybe even more of what you hear on television is reality. That's it. I had that rant. I had to say it, Chris. You don't have to answer that, but what was your thoughts on this segment? Yeah, I mean, the fact that Dominic has to keep yelling into the microphone tells you, like, he he has to yell to hear himself so everybody can hear him. Like, that's, it's just, it's it's naturally how it's working. Yeah, um, it was, it was a good follow-up. I was also confused why he was on Raw for just going to talk about Reagan, but then the Samantha stuff happened. You're like, oh, okay, he's going to get some extra heat on that. Friend of the show, Samantha Irvin. Hey now. And this was a really just fun, good heel segment. And you're right. The two of them as a tag team would be uh, amazing. But Dominic is the by far the most over heel in wrestling or just the most hated heel mm-hmm. the, getting the most heat of any heel in professional wrestling. And he has been for a while. And it's uh, just continues to be really fun every week. Yeah. I mean, I, I know there are fewer things to like be angry with WWE about these days, but this is ridiculous. Like, like talking about Dominic's booze as if that's like some huge affront to people. It, it's just, it's wild. But this was a really good segment for all the reasons that you just mentioned. Miz backstage at Raw got in Pierce's grill asking why he's had nothing to do in weeks. He said Aldis knows his value. And this was when Ripley finally signed the contract with the camera following her rather than staying with him. Miz continued berating Pierce in the background as Ripley checked on Dom's jaw from the ricochet attack. This was just like the Sammy and Jay segment last week where the camera followed someone along. And it was the second straight week where Miz got cut off and the camera went to someone else or went to the ring or something and just didn't allow him to finish his segment. It sure feels like he might move to SmackDown, but really regardless of that, and this isn't a grade so much for this segment as it is like, the production and the pacing and everything they did with the camera, this was good. Yes, it's great. It's like, it's a little nothing segment, but Miz is just shining and reminding us that he's really talented and that he is really accomplished. Um, It's good. There's not much to it, but I've enjoyed these the last couple of weeks. Uh, Kevin Owens did a pre-tape interview with Kathy Kelly saying it didn't feel great to be separated from Sammy but he sees moving back to SmackDown as a clean slate. He talked about wanting to punch a bunch of people on the roster in the face, and that was it, really. Uh, It's basically a default good because 
it's KO speaking and that's Kathy Kelly. But not much was accomplished here. I did like the change in setting the way the interview was done in the stands. It's been done before, uh, but it was better than just like a stand up backstage interview. Yes. Also, Kevin Owens wearing a Yokozuna shirt, which was referenced in the interview with regards to the family. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of cool, too. It was. That's a good point. A New Day fought Alpha Academy on Raw in a segment posted before the show. Akira Tozawa officially became an Academy trainee. Woods hit this awesome, like, fireman's carry power slam that I don't think I've seen before. Chad Gable countered honor roll into three German suplexes, and the Academy hit a doomsday device-styled bulldog, which was really cool. Gable blind-tagged and took advantage of Woods, who did a funny but idiotic, in kayfabe, reverse caterpillar. Otis uh, tagged back and ate trouble in paradise, plus daybreak from Woods, for the New Day win. Academy is hot right now, but this was the right call because they're trying to reestablish New Day as tag team title contenders because Gable is focusing on the Intercontinental Championship. Bringing in Tozawa, you allow him to, first of all, get involved in a potential six-man match, right, with Imperium against the entirety of Alpha Academy. But then Tozawa and Otis can serve as a comedy tag team once Gable ultimately wins the Intercontinental title. It was a damn good match. Woods was a clear MVP. He looked amazing here. I would love to see yeah. him get a mid-card title run at some point sooner than later. And like I said, we talk about Judgment Day. Oh, they're only involved with Sammy and Cody and this person, that person. Getting New Day, setting them up as actual title challengers, creating other title challengers on Raw, that is going to allow Judgment Day to move away from all of that stuff, either on the road to Survivor Series or once Survivor Series ends. I was uh, mixed on the Academy part. The match was great. The, the matches are good. But it also felt like a official letting us know that Alpha Academy is going to be a comedy thing for a bit. And they, they always kind of have been, but you've also had Gable doing serious things. They're going to fully lean into the comedy. I don't know when Gable's going to get back to Gunther. That's kind of the weird thing. They keep talking about it, but Gunther's got other stuff going on. So, uh, you know, the segment last week we thought was hilarious. Tazawa really, really funny guy. So now he really is building up an academy for the first time now that he's added Maxine Dupree mm -hmm. as a trainee and, and Tazawa as well. So it, it makes sense. Um, it, I give it a good, I'm just a little, a little concerned uh, to see Alpha Academy kind of go this direction after we really, really liked what they were doing. So um, we'll see. Your concern being that they're going too far in the comedy direction? Yeah, that they're not that they're not going in the tag team championship division. And that's the whole other part of this. Like New Day in the tag team title mix, I guess, but Judgment Day's got the belts. The fact that there are one set of belts continues to be a, a problem. Tag we just we've had a lot of tag teams just kind of floating around because there's only one set of titles and it's involved in the main event. So that's just a, been a little bit weird too. I hope this is a kind of setting back in another direction for the tag division, but we kind of got to wait and see because one of the tag team champs has a singles match at the next pay-per-view. Yeah, I mean, my concern isn't so much Academy being comedic because you can, like I said, tag Tazawa and Otis, they can be a comedy team and Gable can be a champion who's not as silly as them. But if they are all related in the Alpha Academy, it's going to be very difficult to differentiate one from the other. And that is the thing. Yeah. It's like, when Gable ultimately does win the Intercontinental title, and it really does seem like they're setting us up for that to be the inevitable outcome, you want him to be a really strong, serious champion. You don't necessarily yep. want him holding the title, doing the thank yous and you know the comedic skits backstage. 
because it kind of lessens the importance of him holding that title after what would be a tremendous quote unquote upset victory over Gunther, the longest reigning champion of all time. When someone beats him for that, you want them to look and come across immensely strong. And it doesn't feel like Gable, if Alpha Academy stays as comedic as it's been and he stays in it in this way, will be treated as serious given what is around him. So that's going to be a needle that they're going to have to thread. And, you know, I don't want to get concerned about something that isn't a reality right now, but it it does seem like it's something where he may need to step away and like pursue his individual title reign while they continue operating comedically. And then he comes back to them once he eventually loses. I don't know, but that is a good point. Johnny Gargano fought Giovanni Vinci. Ludwig Kaiser gave a pep talk and demanded a win backstage. Tommaso Ciampa returned early in the match to take Kaiser out after he briefly distracted. Gargano caught Vinci very quick with one final beat for the win. This was crazy short. And there was a picture-in-picture Peacock commercial during it. There was probably one minute of full-screen wrestling. It made no sense to do this when you're basically trying to establish every single person involved in this match. It was a bad segment, but it was not these guys' fault. Agree. Bad not these guys' fault. Also, whew, Johnny Gargano's music hits, and there is no reaction because no one knows the song. And I think a big part it's of it, so weird because no one. It's, it takes a minute. It takes you like five seconds to realize what the song is. Uh, yeah, they. Eesh, that was not. It was not great. It's not just by the way that it's not his old song. It's that the new one is terrible. Like Carlito comes out, yeah. and he has a different entrance, and like we're all pissed off that they didn't keep the original one, but it's actually good. So you get used to it and you're like, you want to hear it. Gargano's is so terrible that you hear it. You're like, what is this? Oh yeah, it's Johnny Gargano. Then like the moments passed, you know? So you're right. Um, It's not getting over the way it needs to. And I don't know, man, I'm hopeful still. I'm sure that once DIY comes together and they start having really good tag team matches, if they beat Imperium, like it's going to get over eventually, but it's taking longer than it should because they've made so many mistakes along the way. Oh, also, put Gargano's name on the Titan Tron as soon as the music hits. Because the music hits, you're not sure what it is. And you've got that smiley face logo up right. there for like a while and no one knows who it is. And then Gargano's name happens. Like, I think Carlito's, his name goes right up when the music hits. People know. So mm-hmm. change the Titan Tron. It should be Gargano with the smiley face as the O at the end. And then you get both in there at yeah. once. Yeah, you're, you're 100% right. Uh, Tazawa fought Bronson Reed on the show during the prior segment. Reed came up telling Kaiser that he was ready for a rematch with his boss whenever Kaiser told him to tell Gunther himself. Tozawa then demanded a match with Reed and chopped him across the chest. That set this up. Maxine Dupree came out with Tozawa. There was an Astro suck chant during this match because they were down 10 to 2 at the time. Factual chant, F the Astros. Reed hit his finishing sequence with Tsunami for the win in a few minutes. Unlike the prior match, this was obviously a purposeful squash. It was nice to see Tozawa get some offense first. The fans did react to him. They also reacted to Reed. So I give this one a good. Yeah, I'll give this a like good. Plus, I like the backstage that set it up with Tozawa doing the chops and Bronson literally not reacting to them as if they weren't happening. This was fine. Little nothing squash match. Uh, I give it a like good. Just a little extra to note. uh, After the match, Alpha Academy and New Day were kind of commiserating backstage. Tozawa came in and Gable said he'd turn him into a top tier tag team wrestler. DIY then came in saying they were tagging next week for the first time in years against Imperium. Then Tozawa got to dance with the Cowboys title belt. Woods 
sells him pretty well, like sells Tazawa being funny and unique. No grade here. There's a, you know, segment just to kind of promote the title, but worth noting just because it was a little bit of storyline development. Uh, Dragon Lee and Cameron Grimes fought A-Town down under on SmackDown. Grimes hit the Spanish crossbody. Grayson Waller took Grimes out of a cover attempt with a rolling face buster. Then Austin Theory followed by hitting A-Town down for the win. It was good for them to get the win back after the unnecessary loss last week. Lee and Grimes losing after just getting on TV. It's a little annoying, but everyone has to start somewhere. And they aren't an established team like the Heels who even need to be established further. So it was the right booking. Yeah, this... You had to get get them a win back, A-Town down under, which I hadn't quite picked up on. I, I like that name. Mm-hmm. Um, and Grimes, Dragon Lee is whatever. We, we'd known. It's also weird, by the way, I saw the I saw Dumb Money about about the GameStop stock a couple weeks ago. Um, you kind of forget how long ago that was. That's still kind of Cameron Grimes' character, but they've never explained that since he moved up to the main roster. Right. He just says to the moon a couple times. Nobody knows what he's talking about. So like, if you're going to do anything with him, like at least kind of explain his character. You're right. They have really not given him a character at all on SmackDown. It's pretty disappointing. A couple more here. These are quick hitters. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura cut another heel promo in Japanese saying he needs to find another opponent to express his violence against now that he dispatched Ricochet. He wondered who was worthy enough to set him free. I just love the way Nakamura is being packaged. He's such a great anime style villain. Shinsuke would be a perfect mid-card heel champion. We're a ways away from that because Gunther still has the title and a babyface needs to beat him. But this was definitely good. And I love that they haven't just like dropped the Nakamura character because he lost to Rollins. They're still keeping him as a threat one way or another. Yes, and keeping him feel feeling like a threat. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to handle a heel after a title loss. Good stuff. Uh, Pretty Deadly celebrated their return win at a spa and put over the Taylor Swift-Travis Kelsey relationship while getting pedicures. Brawling Brutes attacked them from behind, dunked their heads in their foot baths. It was pretty damn good for a quick video package. I'm not saying it was cinema or anything like that, but it was pretty funny. It was funny, and I. it's so funny that it was, like, this wasn't like a live attack on them. It was a packaged-together, like, music video right attack. you didn't expect like, the attack coming you know you just thought it was like yeah, gonna be a vignette and that would be it right yeah so like it's like they someone made the decision to like we're still gonna show this like in a musical it was it was really funny probably. you know what's really funny i think ridge holland for wrestlemania 39 in la he was the one if memory serves laying on the table doing the scene from 40 year old version with the chest waxing i, yes, I, I think yep. that's correct it would be really funny if they did like a spa match or along the lines of like Stone Cold Steve Austin and Booker T in the supermarket. And they just like did a whole match and they, they could use the hot wax. They could use the, 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 you know, uh, I'm not, I don't go to spa. Sorry. The facial things, the, the fingernail clippers, like, you know, the, the, um, what's it called? The, uh, hair dryers. Like they could just use a ton of different things and like have us really fun match and pretty deadly. The brawling brutes would be out of place but it would be in Pretty Deadly's environment. And they could probably win because they'd figure out a way to use something that the Brawling Brutes would never think of, right, to, to finish the match. I'm not saying they have to do it. I just, I kind of got the inkling of that. And like, I thought, oh, you know, that would be pretty funny if they did it. So I wanted to mention it. It's a great, it's a great contrast of personalities mm-hmm. between the two teams. Yeah, and, no. and it makes it all work. I love it. Yeah, no question. Unholy Union got their third witchy vignette saying that 
Meddling with the curse is only going to cost the champions. They were actually listed by their tag team name and they said, see you soon, which presumably means a return is happening shortly. I mean, Halloween is like right here. So if you're going to return them, I mean, doing it this coming Friday, I think would make a lot of sense. Obviously, I've been high on them for so long. So this is almost a default good for me. There wasn't much to it, but I just like that they're getting time and it seems that there's a clear direction for them. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what that ends up being. I'm intrigued. Ivar also got a solo vignette with Valhalla calling him the one true warrior, someone who is a god amongst men. The visuals here were cool. And as I've said before, it's good that Ivar is getting a chance to shine as a single with Eric out for an extended period of time. WWE far too often. If half of a tag team is injured, they're just completely taken off TV. Maybe the other guy works house shows and stuff. But Ivar, they've made him look good on TV and they made him look good here as well. Yeah, the last couple of matches he's done, we've really been into. They're kind of, again, leaning into the the leaning hard into the he's a Viking type of thing. And mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes you're not sure if they should like lean into that being a funny thing or lean into it being serious. They kind of went the serious route again here. Um, so, yeah, he's had a good couple of weeks. So it, it, it might honestly work better as a singles character than as a tag team when you're called the Viking Raiders, which remains a terrible name. So perhaps that whole gimmick work will end up working out better as a singles run. See how it goes. Sure. Uh, With that said, let's go ahead and wrap up the good, the bad and the ugly with a quick look at the crown jewel card as it stands with probably this coming Friday, maybe this upcoming Monday on raw being the last opportunities to add matches. And I don't necessarily know that they're going to add more than maybe one. So right now on the card, Reigns against LA Knight for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship, Rollins versus McIntyre for the World Heavyweight Championship, Ripley in the five-way for the Women's World Championship, Mysterio and Logan Paul for the United States Championship, Cody Rhodes against Damian Priest, and most likely going to be announced, John Cena against Solo Sokoa. That is an immensely strong set of six matches strange not to have Becky, the WWE Women's Championship, the Tag Team Championships, or the Usos on the card. But I feel like the Usos will probably get involved in everything else that's happening one way or the other. Becky in the WWE Women's Championship, maybe not. And and I can see uh, Judgment Day also being over there. Finn Balor um, being with Damian Priest in his corner, things like that. But for a six-match card, assuming Cena and Sokoa is booked, what are you thinking about that for Crowd Jewel? I'm thinking they got to add something because none of those matches I expect to go particularly long. Um, there's not, there's no. Oh, Rollins McIntyre. Multi-man. Go hey, yeah, but I mean, none of these matches I don't think will go longer than 25 minutes. Most of them probably be around 10 minutes. So there's not like a battle royal or something or a, or a Royal Rumble or something. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm curious if they add anything just kind of low card like that. But in terms of the five matches, that's four title matches, mm-hmm. you know, like that's that's a big deal Two, including two men's world titles. So they've made this show feel like a big deal as much as we don't like them doing the whole Saudi Arabia thing, but it feels like a big deal show. And real quick, before we get to the last word, we're about six months out from WrestleMania last week on SmackDown they, and Raw, really both. Uh, they teased the three headline matches for the show. So I wanted to quickly go over those and also just 
discuss a couple other match possibilities for WrestleMania and see kind of what you thought of them and if they would entice you and be big enough for WrestleMania 40. So the three that were clearly teased undoubtedly across SmackDown and Raw were Roman Reigns against Cody Rhodes, Jey Uso against Jimmy Uso, and Rhea Ripley against Becky Lynch. That is an extremely hot start. You have Roman and Cody main event night two. You have Rhea and Becky main event night one. You're off and running as far as I'm concerned. The other matches that I think based on the stories they're telling us right now are possible, okay? Logan Paul against LA Knight for the United States Championship. Something involving Charlotte Flair and Jade Cargill. Hopefully non-title, probably for the WWE Women's Championship, but hopefully not. Either Seth Rollins against Gunther or maybe Drew McIntyre against Sami Zayn for the World Heavyweight Championship. John Cena against Braun Breaker. Just because they teased that in NXT, they got physical, kind of curious about that. And then maybe Rey Mysterio versus Dominic Mysterio, mask versus hair. So I just wanted to kind of throw all that at you, Chris. Want to know what interests you, what doesn't, and really what you think if that took up, or let's say two-thirds of that ended up being part of the WrestleMania card. I, I like pretty much all of that. The, the one I have the biggest question about is John Cena, just because of the actor strike and if it's done by then and if he needs to catch up on work. Good point. On his availability. Um, but I also... I'm kind of as we get closer, like I know every year we we do this and we 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 sort of fantasy book the show mm-hmm. and then we kind of get disappointed when it's not what we thought it should be. So I want to make sure I don't go down that path of like, oh, yeah, really of expecting or like I don't want to be like, I'm going to be upset if L.A. Knight's not fighting Logan Paul for the U.S. title <laughs> because I absolutely want that to happen. Well, here's the thing. But, it's OK if that doesn't happen as long as L.A. Knight is involved yeah. in something prominent. Yeah, I just I that specifically I wanted that at SummerSlam. I think that will be a crazy big match. Mm-hmm. So I I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to cool cool my brakes, pump my brakes a little bit as to that all sounds great. I'm not going to read into it too much and not going to get too excited until uh, it gets more clear. I think just personally. Yeah, the only reason I even but brought I like it, it up is because they purposefully did the face to faces across both shows on the season premieres, and we didn't get a chance to talk about it last week. But I mean. especially Roman Cody, Jay, Jimmy, Rhea, Becky. Those were like blatantly obvious. These are your WrestleMania matches. Get used to them. Get ready for them. So I thought those were interesting. The rest obviously is just supposition, but I thought it was worth bringing up here. We had a little bit extra time, unlike last week's show where we ran out of it. Speaking of, as we wrap up this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, let's move into our final segment. It is the last word. So DJ take the needle and just drop it on the record. What? We gon' have a sp- poppin' in a second. That's why we always say the best cut last to make you scratch and mix for it like fresh cut grass. Now we had actually run out of last word questions. You guys had been great sending them in. So I asked for them last night. Now I have a bank of six. So I'm not saying we'll necessarily do these six over the next six weeks. And you can certainly feel free to DM us or tweet us at getting overcast or email us getting over pod at gmail.com, your questions, whether it's for this segment or other parts of the show, we will do our best to integrate them. But this week we will be hearing from XIT619 at XIT619. He wants to know our favorite non-prestige or just plain guilty pleasure TV show. 
So I'm assuming by the phrasing of this question, we're eliminating like critically acclaimed hour long dramas like The Wire or Breaking Bad or whatever the case. And even like top tier comedies like Seinfeld. So it feels like this is more of a reality show, game show, trash TV type of question. And if that's what we're getting, then my answer is going to be Big Brother. Uh, I have seen every single episode of every single season since it debuted on CBS. Um, Episode, (laughs) yeah, season one was back, I mean, I was, I think I was in high school at the time. Uh, I I don't even remember when season, I think it's been on for 25 years at this point. Uh, Haven't missed a show, haven't missed a season. Absolutely love it. The gameplay, um, the, the different kind of, machinations of the strategy that go into the show. I'm also a fan of like other reality shows. I, I've never seen Survivor or anything like that. I do watch The Challenge on MTV because I was a real world watcher and a real world watcher back in the day. So The Challenge, I'm still totally up for, love that. Uh, but if I had to pick one, you said singular, uh, non-prestige or guilty pleasure TV show, it is Big Brother. And I will tell you all a little bit of a secret. Uh, Samantha Irvin, friend of the show, is also a huge fan of Big Brother, and I get to talk about it with her, which is a lot of fun. So hopefully we'll have maybe a Big Brother conversation uh, next time we get an interview her here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Big Brother started in 2000. So it's been going on for yeah, I am. years now. I'm not if washed you, yet, but in the next year, folks, I'm going to be washed because I've been watching 25 years of Big Brother. So this was harder for me than I expected. Um, because normally when regular people ask me this question, my answer is Monday Night Raw. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's it's right. wrestling. It um, is. Yeah, wrestling is really the guilty pleasure. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So outside of that, like, I don't I, like I used to watch Bachelor for a bit, kind of fell out of it. It got repetitive. I jump into Love is Blind when it started. Like, I'll jump into some of these new shows. But then after a couple seasons, everybody's just on the show for social media cloud and they're trying to play the game. It's way more fun at the beginning of these shows mm-hmm. when, you know, they're trying to figure it out and it's more authentic. So I kind of pop in and out. I don't know if this counts, but a show, it's not a current show, but I, it's probably the show I just like rewatch the most when I just want to throw something on um, is the newsroom. That's from HBO. Oh, that definitely it does did not win count. A couple of, yeah, it definitely it does did not win count. A couple of, it did win a couple of <laughs> awards, so it probably doesn't count. Other than that, um, King of Queens, does that count as top-tier comedy? I mean, to, so to line, me, but. no. So for me, like top-tier comedies that, that have existed are like Seinfeld, The Office, Parks and Rec, and like I can go through a list, but we're not, we, right. don't, we don't have time for that. I don't consider King of Queens to be that, but it was a very long running comedy and people do like it. So I wouldn't call it prestige, but I also wouldn't call it guilty pleasure. Yeah. And then, and then I guess the other one, which I've done a lot more recently getting back to on Disney plus is X-Men, the animated series uh, from the 1990s. So which is fun to go back and just like, I put those on and I Mm -hmm. fall asleep to the show all the time. Um, I, it, it, this, this question made me realize, like, I do, I guess, watch a lot of technically prestige TV because outside of wrestling and outside of sports, I don't have a ton of Same. time. The other shows yeah. I'm watching right now are Morning Show on Apple TV Plus, uh, Invasion on Apple TV Plus, Loki on Disney on Disney mm-hmm. Plus, uh, so, some of that type of stuff. So uh, it really it's sports and pro wrestling is is 
more yeah. sports has sometimes worked, but pro wrestling is really the biggest guilty pleasure for me. Yeah. I mean, I spend so much time watching sports and so much time watching wrestling there. There really is limited time for everything else. So to that same end that you just said, um, I'm watching the morning show. I'm watching Loki. I'm also watching billions on Paramount plus slash Showtime, which is fantastic. And they've had multiple wrestlers on over the years, Becky Lynch and triple H, uh, most notably. Um, but yeah, those aren't guilty pleasure. Those are highly acclaimed shows, you know, to one degree or the other. I don't really have like, like, I don't know what non-prestige guilty pleasure. I don't know that you can like throw a sitcom in there, but what I will tell you straight up is like larger portions of my day than should be taken up by this are taken up by me rewatching Seinfeld parks and rec in the office parks and rec is on IFC Mondays and Tuesdays all day long. I sit, it's my background noise. I watch it pretty much all day. I've probably seen through the show now, like, I don't know, six times or something like that. Seinfeld, I will watch any episode anytime. It is a special show. Uh, The Office, there are episodes I don't like individually. Season one, even though it's funny, it's very uncomfortable uh, because of, they're still finding their footing. The Michael Scott character isn't great, but I will largely watch The Office pretty much whenever it's on. There's also a number of shows that I don't do this with, but I would if I really thought about it. Like um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is incredible if you want a comedy, like a sitcom. Happy Endings, I think, is one of the most underrated sitcoms that's ever been on television. You can go find that. It's probably on Hulu. I think it was on ABC originally. I don't know what streaming service it's on. And New Girl is really good as well, but I don't watch that frequently at all. Uh, And there's others, Community, and I can keep going. But my guilty pleasure is really more re-watching a lot of these sitcom episodes more than anything else. But just to repeat, Big Brother stands out. It's my favorite reality show. I haven't missed it. The Challenge, absolutely love, but I've never gotten into like Survivor. I've never gotten into any of the love shows, Bachelor or um, Love Island or any of those. Yeah. I, I get my fill on that with like the part of the challenge and Big Brother that when people have showmances and stuff like that. Here, here's a question. Does this qualify? I Honestly, if I think guilty pleasure, this would qualify for me for most. First take. <laughs> uh, um, Stephen A. Smith, he's got Mad Dog on there sometimes, McAfee on there sometimes, Shannon Sharp. Like, so it's, I, that's more of a talk like, show. I, 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 so I don't know that. Yeah. It's a thing. A lot of people hate and whatever, whatever, but like, I, 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 I find it entertaining, not informative, but I'm just there to kind of be entertained, uh, without thinking too much. And, and that show does. It for I me. think that does count as guilty pleasure. I don't know if it answers the exact question that I don't, I don't think it's the answer he's yeah. looking for in this he or she is looking for in this question, but it is that definitely counts as a guilty pleasure. Cause I would not be caught dead watching that show, nor the equivalent on FS1. That's not for me. Um, right. I, I, I'm a, in a, if you're talking about debate shows or you're talking about like talk shows like that, I'm pardoned the interruption and nothing else. That's I, there was a long time where I had watched every single episode of that show all the way through about, I would say four years ago. And then I eventually stopped because I just didn't have the time and Tony and Mike weren't consistently on the show. So it was less interesting to me when like other people are just subbing in. Yeah. Um, but that would be my equivalent for your first take, I guess, if that makes sense. Sure. Let me ask you this. What's your favorite uh, late night talk show of all time? Uh, I, don't, I don't watch them anymore, but it, the most enjoyable period that I would always watch a show like something like that, it was The Daily Show with Jon Stewart in, in the 2000s. Yeah, for me, it's Late Show with David Letterman is number one. But man, 
The Daily Show with Jon Stewart was exceptional. Very difficult to miss. And the Colbert Report with Stephen Colbert was also yeah. really freaking good. So, okay, that's some television talk for you here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Good question by XIT619. Like I said, we have five others that are banked, but if you have other last word questions, send them in. We will get to them eventually here on the podcast. I promise you. Chris, thank you once again for joining the show. Folks, let's wrap up with a bunch of reminders as always. First, that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about Defy. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. Please also remember, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official Getting Overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You will get bonus audio. You will also get news posts, exclusive stuff every single week. Our members love it. I hope we get more of them. That's why I keep promoting it on the show. So again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. We would greatly appreciate your support. On the way out, a reminder of what's still to come this week and next week. On Thursday, we will be back with our next AEW and NXT episode. And then next Tuesday, it won't just be our WWE show. It will be the WWE Crown Jewel Ultimate Preview. So you are not going to want to miss that. At this point, for Vintage Chris Vanini, it is time for the Silver King Adam Silverstein to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.